You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Well, once again, welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 19. This is our How It Changes Everything teaching series. We're working our way through the book of Acts. We're going to talk about Holy Spirit power this morning. And uh, to really, if you were going to give a summary statement for the book of Acts, I've given you a number of them, but one that I've used off and on is that it is, uh, the book of Acts is about the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the hearts and lives of the people of God, making an impact in this world for God. Uh, let me start off by giving you a, uh, a visual aid up here that I'm going to just talk briefly about. Um, would anyone like to have a haircut this morning? I wanted to tell you that uh, I have a barber that is unbelievably sexy, and uh, she uh, she's my wife. Uh, so I better tell you that part, huh? And uh, and so let's just let's just say hypothetically that she had been cutting my hair with these scissors. And it was becoming really hard because my hair is so thick. And uh, I guess we're supposed to laugh right then. But uh, let's just say, and so she decides to get one of these. And so she goes to the store, buys one of these, and she tries to cut my hair. And this piece of junk, it doesn't work. So she takes it back to the store. And she tells the guy, hey, I bought this, but it doesn't work. It's a piece of junk. So he takes it and he plugs it in. And then all of a sudden, she hears this noise, and she goes, what's that noise? And it's like, that's what it's supposed to sound like when you plug it into the power source, and then you turn it on. Obviously, my wife would not do that. And you're probably thinking, well, that's kind of a dumb illustration. Nobody would actually do that. And yeah, we would when it comes to our power source, the Holy Spirit. People do it all the time. Christians do it every day. And so we're going to talk about plugging into the power source. What, the, what does that mean? What does that mean to plug into the power source of, of the Christian life? Um, Francis Chan wrote a book, a number of books, Crazy Love. This was his second book that he, he came out with. It was called Forgotten God, Reversing the Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you the, the, just a little bit of the back cover. This is what he says. Uh, when is the last time someone used that word to describe you, the word Powerful. It doesn't make sense that Almighty God would have children characterized by fear and insecurity. Let me say that again. It doesn't make sense that Almighty God would have children characterized by fear and insecurity. He put His Spirit in us so that we could be known for our power. And then He gives some verses, and I'm going to quote a couple of verses here in just a moment. But sadly, most believers in churches are known for talent or intellect rather than supernatural power. What's worse is that we're okay with it. The key verse for this series is, you guys remember what it is? The key verse, first chapter, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The word witness means martyr. You will be so captivated, so smitten by the beauty and the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ that you will be, be ready to give your life for him. But it comes as a result of this encounter with God and the power that he gives to us. Here's another verse. This was a verse that helped me out tremendously, still does to this day. 
It's, uh, it's 2 Timothy 1.7. Anybody familiar with that verse, 2 Timothy 1.7? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Love, power, and of a sound mind or self-control. Do you believe that? I believe that. I don't always live in the reality of that. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control or a sound mind. Two different ways of looking at that last part. Here's another great verse that I memorized a number of years ago. It was really helpful for me. And it's, uh, it's found in 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge that speaks of this, through this intimate relationship we have with him, through the knowledge of him who's called us by his glory and goodness. I mean, the implications of that are just astounding when you understand those verses. And so that's what we're going to talk about, Holy Spirit power. How many could use some Holy Spirit power this morning? All of us could. Yep, I could. So let me begin with a word of prayer and uh, we'll dive into our study this morning. God, we are delighted to be here today and it's, uh, we're drawn here because of your love, you love us. And as it tells us in Romans eight eleven, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in us. And so God, this morning, teach us how to plug into the Holy Spirit power We know it's not a technique to be mastered, but it's a relationship to be entered into, to be enjoyed. And so, God, may you empower us this morning to be what you want us to be, to do what you've called us to do. For your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at the text here. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to work through the first ten verses. And there's some things here. Uh, like three points we're going to hit, and then we're going to work through the next uh, set of verses, 11 through 20, next 10. And then I'm going to have you read the rest of the chapter on your own. I've got the second set of uh, 10 verses. We've got one, two, three, four, five, about five points there. And then we're going to wrap it up, and then we're going to take communion this morning, which will be a great time. And so uh, let me begin reading here. And as you remember, this is, uh, this is Paul's third missionary journey. And uh, this is what it says. Verse 1 of chapter 19, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into Into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn 
and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. We're going to stop there. This is the word of the Lord. And then we'll continue reading in a little bit after we make these first three points. Take a look at your notes. Here's the first idea as it relates to us learning how to plug into this Holy Spirit power. What does that mean? What you don't know can hurt you. Therefore, grow. That's the first point I I drew as I was studying through this. What you don't know can hurt you, therefore grow. Did you notice in verse 2, when he asked them about the Holy Spirit, and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard. There is a Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever heard the statement before, ignorance is bliss? It's not, okay? Just to tell you, it's not. Ignorance is not bliss. And, And how many have ever heard this statement before? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, as long as you're sincere. Um, let me give you a quick illustration here. This is an illustration that I use in our Game of Life class. And, and uh, a number of years ago when I was on Phoenix Fire, I was with Phoenix Fire a number of years, about 12 years, and then about, eight, uh, about 10 of those years I was uh, a medic. But before I became a medic, I was on a rescue, Rescue 7. Went on a call as a drug overdose person had overdosed on heroin. And... Uh, and typically, we get these calls because there was a new batch of heroin that came into town. And these guys, you know, obviously, they don't, uh, they don't cut it the same. And so this person overdosed on it, thinking he was getting the same dose that he was in the past, but it was a stronger batch. And so he overdosed. And what that does is suppress your respirations. And so the, this guy was out. His friends were there freaking out. And they called the fire department. The fire department uh, started IVs on him. We were a part of the rescue, got there. And typically in the drug box, what we, what we would carry is a, a drug called Narcan or Naloxone, and it was in a little vial, and you just pop that up. It's kind of really a miracle drug. Uh, one of the paramedics right here from Phoenix, uh, fully familiar with this. It's, it's pretty interesting how that will reverse the uh, opioid derivative effects, which uh, heroin is an opioid derivative. And, uh, and so uh, the guy gave him Narcan, and the guy began to crash in front of us. In fact, they had to start actually uh, assisting his respirations. His respirations began to crash. In fact, the guy was, was crashing in front of them after giving them Narcan. And he thought he had given him Narcan, but in reality, what he had done, he had given him morphine. And, and the vial of morphine is similar to that of Narcan. Is it still the same in the drug box? Is, did they change that? Probably because of the those kind of problems. But those vials were very similar. So you'd pull the vials out and you'd have to really look at to make sure you had the right vial. But he had popped it and he gave morphine, basically just gave him more of the same, similar to what he had had, an an opioid derivative. And they did that not to kill this guy. They did that sincerely, thinking that they were doing the right thing. So, So truth does matter. Would you agree with that, based on that understanding? Yeah, so truth matters, doesn't it? So, it doesn't, so when people say, well, it doesn't matter, matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. No, it does. It does matter what you believe. There is a right, there is a wrong. There, truth does matter. Now, these guys here, uh, they didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. In fact, there, I gave you some verses here, and these are great verses. Hosea 4, 6, it says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. Did you know that you can be the ch- a child of God and still crash and burn? They do, people do it all the time. Christians crash and burn all the time. Because of a lack of knowledge. 
Uh, another verse, Ephesians 4, 13 through 14, talks about how we need to grow, grow in our relationship with God. Otherwise, we become, and we need to understand what the truth of the gospel is. Otherwise, we are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We're just beat up by life. life we're chasing after all kinds of stuff that will, will not ultimately give us life, and we're thrashed around by that. Uh, John eight thirty one and 32 Uh, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are really my disciples. So if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you will continue in his word. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. Now, to the degree you're living in the reality of the truth is to the degree that you'll experience truth. To the degree that you're not embracing that truth, everything else other than truth would be error, is to the degree that you're probably experiencing some form of bondage in your life because you haven't fully embraced the truth in that area of your life, whatever that might be, whether it be financial, relational, or whatever. Um, so that's why it says in Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, this text is very controversial, need I say, because the question would be, are these guys Christians or not Christians? I happen to believe that they're Christians, and I, and I base it uh, based on verse 1 where they're called disciples, and then in verse 4, where they have, they have repented and they have believed in Jesus. So they have repented and believed in Jesus. They just yet had not been taught about the Holy Spirit. And I think that they were getting some of the teaching of Apollos that we, we read about last week on the tail end of chapter 18. Paulus was taken uh, to the side after he was teaching. He, he was preaching boldly, speaking boldly in the synagogue, but Priscilla and Aquila heard him and they took him and explain it to him the way of God more accurately. So you get the idea that maybe they had some of this message, but they didn't have all of the truth about the work of God in their life. And so, uh, so I think the point is, whatever way you want to go with that, either way, we need to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, is what Paul, and that's the point of this. Whether you believe they're Christians or not Christians, we need to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it's one thing to have it and not use it, but it's it's a it's totally different thing to not use it because you don't know you have it. They didn't know that they had it if indeed they were Christians. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit. They hadn't been taught on those things. Here's the next point on your life on your notes. And so here's the next. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit more. Becoming a Christian is an event that involves, and we see this in the text, repentance. That's verse 4. And belief in Jesus, that's also verse 4. And then receiving the Holy Spirit. Let me talk a little bit about the receiving the Holy Spirit. Because that's what happened here. John 14, 16 through 17. Now, I've taught this in the past. This is also very controversial, what I'm going to tell you. But this is kind of the direction that we as a church family go. Is that we believe that the Holy Spirit does, uh, he, he can work in our lives in three different ways. He is with unbelievers. Not in them, but with them, convicting them, okay? He comes to live within, within believers. And then there's a third experience. It's the epi, the upon experience. And let me just read to you John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So what he's telling his disciples is that just as I was with you, you're going to have the Holy Spirit with you. Another of the same kind. Just as I was with you, the Holy Spirit will be with you to be with you forever. I like that. That is good. So when you put your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So he goes on, he says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him 
for he dwells with you and will be in you. After Jesus resurrected, John 20, 21 through 22, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit with them and then now in them. And then he's going to tell them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit does what? Comes upon them. Make sense? You guys tracking with me? So the Bible's, uh, my understanding of Scripture and, and like I said, it's somewhat controversial in just how that works. But I'm telling you, based on my understanding of Scripture and based on those verses that the Holy Spirit is with unbelievers, convicting them so that when they open their heart up to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within them, 1 Corinthians 13, 16. And then, and then in Acts 1, 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then we've got another verse, uh, Ephesians five eighteen, that talks about how we need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, these disciples only knew really what I, I believe the first half of the gospel. Now, we're going to do a water baptism. You don't, you don't want to miss this next weekend. It's a, it's a blast. It's really one of the highlights of our uh, annual. We do it twice a year. You're going to get a chance to see people make a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. And what they're doing is that they're identifying with the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And... Uh, Substitutionary atonement is the, is the theological phrase. In other words, what he did on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So I stand before God completely righteous, not because of my own works, but because of the works of Jesus Christ that have been imputed to me, that have been given to me. My sin was placed upon him on the cross. Unbelievable. No other belief system on this planet Earth says that or does that or even comes close to that. Everything else is a works righteousness. Ours is a grace righteousness. It's a faith righteousness. You enter into it by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's numbing. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's just words cannot describe the beauty of that. But so what we typically do is we have people to put their hands like this. We get them in the water and we say, because of your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we put them down under the water and then we pray to see how long we should hold you under the water to see how much sin you have. Oh, you guys have never heard that before, have you? And then we bring you back up. No, we don't actually do that. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Because some of you are like me, you'd need a snorkel, wouldn't you? They're going to be holding me down for a long time. Thank God it's not based on our works or how sinful or how not sinful we are or whatever. It's based on what he did for us. But that's what a little bit of this story. These guys only knew the first half, almost as if they were still under the water. They only knew the under the water half. We repent and we believe in Jesus. See, in the, it's, the second, it's the second Corinthians 5.17. Old things have passed away, down into the water. All things have become new, out of the water, newness of life. But they didn't have the woohoo. They only had the, they're still under the water. That's where these guys are. They didn't understand the fullness of life through the Holy Spirit. You guys tracking with me? So they only had half of the gospel. That yeah, he died for my sins, but now he's given me fullness of life through his son. He indwells me with his Holy Spirit. That is amazing. That's amazing. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's, that is so cool. 
That's so cool. Newness of life. A new way of life. A new potential. A new privilege. A new power through this relationship with God. So, so that's, that's all part of it. it, doesn't, it, it it's really important to understand that. And so, though the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, we are to pursue this Spirit-filled life constantly and continually. And um, it does not mean that we receive more of the Holy Spirit, but that we give Him more of ourselves. So Spirit-filled life, this, uh, this epi experience, Him coming upon us, is that He gets more of us as we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit and are filled with His presence He has greater freedom to work in and through our lives to control and empower us in order to better exalt and glorify Christ. Francis Chan, once again from uh, from his book, another quote here. This is what he says. A sure sign of the Holy Spirit's working is that Christ is magnified, not people. So, So you know that the Holy Spirit's working is because Christ is magnified. He looks glorious. You live your life in such a way that people go, wow, I want what they've got. I, I want this Savior that they talk about, that they, they're living for, that they're, they're giving their life for. Uh, let me give you an excerpt. Now, I'm not, I don't have the time to go into it in, in detail, a lot of this whole idea of the Spirit-filled life. But we did this teaching series at the beginning of this year. You can still download. It's online. And let me just give you an excerpt from the Spirit-filled series. And it's really taken out of this Ephesians 5.18. You guys familiar with that verse where it says, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, a life kind of out of control or an exhausted kind of life, pursuing all the things out there in this world. So do not be, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it makes this interesting uh, contrast. Being filled with the Spirit, it is like drunkenness in that it gives you what people go to the bottle to get, and that is the ability to face reality. You lose your job. You know, I worked around guys and they'd lose their job when I was working construction and they want to go to the bar. Of course, anytime there was a rainy day, they wanted to go to the bar, okay? Uh, and so they just wanted to go to the bar every day. They were just looking for an excuse. But, uh, but a lot of it had to do with just trying to medicate, medicate their life. No sense of purpose, no sense of direction. Just trying to medicate the, the struggle and the pain that's going on. And so, so it is like drunkenness in that it gives you what people go to the bottle to get and that is the ability to face reality. Drunkenness dulls your perception of reality, whereas, don't miss this, this is important to understand, so that as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, this is what's really taking place. Now, I believe that they were speaking in tongues. I believe that speaking in tongues is for today. Prophesying is for today. All the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Those are various manifestations of the Holy Spirit, what we see here. But if you go back to Acts chapter 2, these manifestations were doing what? They were proclaiming the what? The wonders. See, we get preoccupied with the manifestations. We look and focus on the gifts to the exclusion of the gift giver. But these gifts are meant to point to the gift giver. They were declaring, they were preaching the wonders of God. So what were they seeing? There was something that was taking place. And so drunkenness dulls your perception of reality, whereas spirit-filled life intensifies your perception of reality. So what is the reality? I lose my job. He's bigger than my job. He will provide for me another job. That's my reality. In the midst of my reality, uh, whatever it might be, God is bigger. God is bigger than anything that I face. That's my reality. The more satisfied I am in Jesus Christ, the less trials overwhelm me. He becomes my reality. The less trials overwhelm me, And temptations seduce me because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
See, that's the reality, that Christ is for me and not against me. I have him, so no matter what I face, I can face it. You can face whatever you're going through. So the intensified work of the Holy Spirit is you're going, wow, and mmm, about God in his greatness and his goodness. See, that's when you know the Holy Spirit's working. Now, it might be manifested in a lot of different ways. Tongues, prophesying, you know, you look through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where you have a lot of these different gifts of the Spirit. You look at Ephesians 4. You got these different manifestations of what God's doing at, at different times. But most, most importantly, this intensity of the work of the Holy Spirit is that Christ becomes more of that song we sang, beautiful. Oh my goodness. I want Him more than anything. I want to live my life for Him. See, that's the Spirit-filled experience. Here's your next point on your notes. Growing as a Christian is a lifelong journey that involves Holy Spirit. Don't fill in the blank yet. Hold on just a second there. Who do you, what do you guys think is that very last one? Holy Spirit, spiritual disciplines. What, what else combination does God bring into our life to really help us to really grow? Anybody? Yell it out to me. Trial. What else? Suffering. Someone say suffering. 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 Pastor Ray, I wasn't going to put suffering down. I was going to put like pleasure or fun or health and wealth. Yeah, that's the ones I want. Health and wealth. Praise God. He's going to bring health and wealth. And I'm going to get, I'm going to see more of him. It doesn't, no, that's not the Bible ever says that. The Bible always says this through the difficulties. I gave you some verses there about that. No, it's suffering. It's suffering. And that's what brings about the maturity. See, in fact, suffering reveals your idols, your counterfeit gods, but at the same time gives opportunity to replace idols with the infinite and eternal joy in Christ. Everybody look up here. You've got to get this. The best display, the best display of the glory of Christ, the best display of the f- spirit-filled life is, is that when life looks like you shouldn't be happy, that you are happy not out of pretense, but, but out of his abiding presence. You guys tracking with me? It's not something that, but because you, he meets you in the midst of your reality. You still deal with reality. You still grieve. You still work through the process, but he meets you there. You cast your cares upon him. He's bigger. He, he's the greater reality. That's the spirit-filled life. That, that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, another story from Game of Life. This woman was diagnosed with cancer. And she was, she just came out of nowhere. The doctor said, I'm only going to give you a few months based on the charts, based on what I see. And uh, she had extreme anxiety who wouldn't, uh, didn't know the Lord. And so that anxiety turned to anger. Ah, and then it turned inward and became uh, depression and she attempted suicide unsuccessfully only to find out it was a misdiagnosis a lie believed to be true will affect your life as if it were true all of us have lies in our life that are ringing us out and it will affect our life as as if it were true but But if you continue in his word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you understood all that you have in Jesus Christ, 
I mean, for instance, I was just studying this this last weekend. Ephesians 1.3 just tells us that you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Do you understand what that means? When you put your faith in Jesus, you have everything you need. Now, we spend a lifetime trying to work that out in our lives. It's called sanctification. But it's, a, it's an objective fact that must be worked into our hearts subjectively throughout our life. But you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. If you really understood that, if you really understood that, you'd be perfectly happy bothered by nothing or no one. Did you know that? If you understood who it is that's for you and not against you, really, 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 you'd be perfectly happy, not bothered by anything. Really, seriously. And I'm not saying that you don't grieve and do that, but they wouldn't carry as much weight in your life because you know that he's bigger than everything. He's bigger than all the things that we face. He's more attractive. You wouldn't yield to the temptation because he's more attractive than the, than the temptation that you easily find yourself chasing after. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, okay, let's read the next section. Next section here. So uh, this, this story really gets good, man. This is a crazy story. Uh, you guys understand that? Understand that first part? Okay, tracking with me because it, it gets better here. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So what we're going to do is at the end of this service, we're, we're going to take my shirt, we're going to cut it up into pieces and, we're going to, and then we're going to sell them to, we're going to send them, no, okay, okay, no, I guess not. We're not going to do that. Uh, we weren't ever planning on doing that actually. But I'll tell you why in a minute because it'll be the next point. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them. This is great. I love it. Uh, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> There's a big lesson on that one. We're going to talk about that. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but... That's what happens when you try to hijack the power of God. Now, before we laugh too much, we all are guilty of that a bit. So we're going to look at that in a minute. But let me finish reading the story. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. <laughs> no kidding. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. See, that's when you know... the. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you know that you're beginning to fear means it's a joyful awe and wonder of the beauty, glory, and splendor of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. It's life-altering. And what happens is that you begin to extol him. He becomes your passion, your priority, your pursuit in life. That's what is going on. Verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it 
came to 50,000 pieces of silver. You know how much that was? Six million dollars in today's currency. Six million. Kind of tells you a little bit how God had gotten a hold of their heart. This is trash to me now. I want him more than anything. This is junk. Yeah, it's worth six million. I don't want anybody else to get this trash, so here, I'm going to burn it. Doesn't matter. I'm not going to try to make any money on it. I mean, so it's really interesting. It shows you a little bit of a glimpse of what happens to a person's heart when they are ravished by the, the beauty of Christ. And so verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is God's word. And you can read the rest of it. I'll explain the rest of the story to you, and you can do that later on. It's a great story. It's a big riot that takes place. And so um, let me give you the next point on your notes. This is not prescriptive. This idea here of this where he sends out, you know, aprons and, and handkerchiefs and all of that, this is not prescriptive but descriptive showing that that with God, all things are possible. Do you guys know the difference between being prescriptive and descriptive? He's not prescribing and say, okay, now cut up your clothes and send them off and make money on it or uh, let people be healed by it. Only if God specifically told you to do that. He's never told me to do that. And I would question where he's, whether he's actually told many people to do that, these uh, televangelists who've made a lot of money. By sending that junk out, I would not... You know, I, I, I just... I don't go for it. I don't believe it. And I believe it's not prescriptive but descriptive of of the fact that with God all things are possible. And in fact, it's interesting, these events are extraordinary. The word extraordinary there in verse 11 means unusual. So it's not like common everyday event. It's not like something that's going to even maybe possibly be repeated. Probably never was. But what it's telling us, it's telling us about the power of God. And James 4, 2 says, we have not because we ask not. So what we're telling, what we understand about the power of God working in our lives is that there are things that God would do in our life, but if we fail to ask, he's not going to do them. So there are things, there are ways that we could touch people's lives through prayer, but if we don't do it, God won't touch their life. We have not because we ask not. It also tells us in James 5.16 that the, par- the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. In other words, there's something that happens when we pray that won't happen otherwise. And so I think it's important for us to know. I'm telling you, I mean, we can, we can expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. We should do that. That's just the type of people we should be. And we just need to go for God and just believe. I mean, I pray for everybody. I'll pray for anybody. I don't care what problem you have. I will pray for you all the way to the end. And then help you to usher you into heaven with, with Jesus. It doesn't matter. We will pray. And that's how we should. We should, you know, aggressively pray. You know, ask boldly, surrender completely, ultimately, to God's sovereignty and all that he is. Here's the next one. Praying in the name of Jesus is not a magic formula, but a magnificent fellowship with the one whose work on the cross makes us more than conquerors. Did you notice he, he, the, name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was used a couple times, verse 13, verse uh, 17. Listen to what it says in Romans eight thirty six. Romans eight thirty six, And it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, that's the condition we're in right now. It's almost like we're sheep being led to slaughter. But notice this. Here's the reality that invades our our terrible condition. No, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
See, we are more than conquerors. No matter what we face. He covers the full gamut of issues. No matter what goes down in our life, we are more than conquerors because of his empowering presence in our lives. And I gave you some more verses you can read on that. Here's the next verse. When we invoke his name and ask for his help and power, while we are not enjoying or obeying him, it is using him as a magic formula. Okay, and I got to work on this just a tad. So when we invoke his name, seven sons of Sceva, his name, that's what they were doing, and ask for his help and power, while we are not enjoying and obeying him, it is using him as a magic formula. It's a little bit what he was saying in Luke 6, 46. He says, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? You refer to me as Lord, and yet you don't obey me. You're coming here to use me? Uh, a verse, uh, some verses that have always been somewhat troubling for me, it's really kind of it's brought a bit of fear, is Matthew seven twenty one through 23. And it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare, this is Jesus speaking, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So just because people are working miracles doesn't validate the fact that they are really obeying and enjoying Christ and wanting to follow him. They can, you can do that for selfish gain. So here's the point that I think that we can gain from this. We are like the seven sons of Sceva when we want his gifts more than we want him. People do it all the time. Sometimes that's how we come to faith in Jesus. But the true test is when we don't get what we want or if we do, what we do when the storm is over. Do we put him on the shelf and move on and do our own thing? See, the test of an encounter with God, and I've thought about this and about my own encounters with God. True test of an encounter with God is that you are no longer proud but humble. You are no longer fearful but confident. And you want to be with him more than get anything from him, even if it means suffering. If suffering brings you more of him, you say, bring it on. That's the attitude. That's when you know that this person has truly encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. The sign of an authentic encounter with God is that you become satisfied with who he is more than the benefits he gives. And he gives phenomenal benefits, but the fact is you want him and you want him alone and you want to live your life for his glory, however that might play out. See, that's, a, that's someone who really sees the glory and the beauty of Jesus you don't want to be a, one of the sons, seven sons of Sceva. You don't want to fall into that category, somehow using God and manipulating God and demanding, God, why are you not doing this for me? And it's like, no, you're here to serve him. Do you know him? Do you, you experience him? In fact, here's the next point. True conversion leads to concrete change and to the eliminating of anything that weighs or entangles us spiritually. And that's what they were doing. I mean, $6 million worth. In today's currency. And so I put on your notes a couple of things here. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to seek to please. It says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to seek to please. And so repentance. When we find our hearts loving and looking at something more so than God. We repent. And then we also want to make sure that we don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit. That means to seek to listen. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Ephesians 4.30 says do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says do not quench the Holy Spirit. 
And, and so when we look at this story, here's what you can tell is that the worth or the value of something is measured by what people are willingly, you know, what they willingly or gladly give up to get that. What, they, what were they willingly and gladly willing to give up to, to get Christ, to have more of Christ? They gave up a lot of their, as it said here, a lot of the stuff that was up, it was worth $6 million. See, what happens is that when you begin to see Christ, you're willing to look at what, what's in my life that would keep me from experiencing more of him. Spiritual disciplines are, we study the Bible, we pray, we do those things to increase our capacity to experience more of him. And so we look at our lives to say, what are those things that are keeping me from him? And so you can tell how much, how valuable he is, the worth and the value of him to you based on what you are willing to gladly give up for him. Because you know that he gladly gave up his son for you. And so how could you not help but respond by saying, I want to give you my life. And so that's what we have happening here. See, one glimpse of his beauty, one glimpse of his beauty, and pew warming is no longer an option. Thrill seeking is no longer needed. You are consumed by a desire to see more of him and say more about him. Those who know God, really know God, walk in vital union with him, never grow bored. Because there is always more of God to know, more joy to be be had, greater pleasure to be experienced. There's not a more exhilarating, exciting life than a life that is fully devoted to Jesus Christ. You guys agree with that? I don't. Last point. Here's spirit-filled. Spirit-filled hearts are ablaze with the truth of the beauty, the splendor, and the glory of who Jesus is and what he has done that exceeds all competing perspectives, passions, and priorities. It outshines, it's more vivid, it's more real, it's more satisfying than all competing perspectives, passions, and, and priorities. Now, I'm gonna, here's your homework for the rest of the day. Go home while you're watching football. And, uh, and oh, some, some of you didn't like that, okay. Uh, and read the rest of the, the chapter because this is what you see. These new believers are so transformed that they stop buying the idols and it angers the sellers of the idols so that they riot they begin to riot. And so it kind of ends, the, the, the chapter ends with a riot. It would be like a revival breaking out in Phoenix and all the strip clubs, liquor stores, and casinos shut down because of a lack of business and they begin to pick at the churches. I mean, that's what would happen if something like that, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, it just begin to sweep across this valley. So let me end with a story. If you're gonna be handing out communion, go ahead and find your way back to grab those communion uh, elements, and they're going to pass them out here for us in, in just a moment. Let me end with a story. I heard this story a number of years ago, and it kind of hit home even more so because my wife and I went on a uh, cruise in, uh, a number of years ago. How many have ever been on a cruise before? Cruise? They're a lot of fun. They're really expensive. We didn't pay for this. Someone else paid for it. It was an anniversary gift, and so that was cool. It made it even better because we didn't pay for it. And so, but I heard the story of a guy who went on a cruise, and he saved like crazy. It was really expensive, and it was, it was kind of once-in-a-lifetime cruise. And he went on this cruise, and he went and had a great time. And as he was exiting off the cruise, one of the, the purser or somebody asked him, so, hey, did you have a good time? He goes, yeah, I had a wonderful time. The only thing is the next time I'm going to save up enough money so that I can make sure that I can eat at the buffet and the dining hall and dining room and do all that. And the guy looked at him and said, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, I didn't really have enough money to pay for all of it. And so, so I, uh, I packed peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And, man, I am so tired of peanut butter and jelly. 
I am sick and tired of peanut butter and jelly. And the guy looked at him and goes, what? You've got to be kidding. He says, that was all included in the price. That was all included in the price. And he, he looked at him and goes, what? Yeah, you ate peanut butter and jelly for no reason. You could have enjoyed the buffet that was open 24-7. You could have gone into the dining room at night and dressed up and had some unbelievable full course meals and, and all this. And he was like, wow, that's how we are often when it comes to the Christian life. Now, you've heard the illustration with, uh, with C.S. Lewis. He says that we are half-hearted creatures fooling with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are too easily pleased. And he makes this contrast between mud puddles versus a holiday at the sea. Well, many of us are on the holiday at the sea. We're, in, we're doing the Caribbean cruise, but we're eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Could there be more to the Christian life than what you're currently living? Fullness of life. If you understood all that he has provided for you, as I said earlier... You'd be perfectly happy, bothered by nothing. That's my hope for us, that we would learn to live that out and begin to live in the reality of that. That objective truth would become hard experience. While we take communion this morning, let's prepare our hearts for communion. God, thank you so much for this message. And we pray that the reality of what you provided for us, this, this power, the supernatural power that you have come to give to us through your Holy Spirit that indwells us, may he come upon us this morning. May we see more clearly the beauty, the glory, the splendor of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished, it is paid in full. We pray these things in Jesus' name.